Hey, all power to the developing listeners. Join us on April 15th for At the Wormholes of Madness, Developmental Science Fiction, led by poet, sci-fi writer, and social therapist, Stephen Licardi. Stephen will help us employ poetic tools to engage in the embodied practice of world building while making use of emerging technology platforms such as ChatGPT and UArtCity to heighten the experience. We're very excited for this workshop and we hope that you join us. For more information, you can visit us at www.eastsideinstitute.org. I repeat, www.eastsideinstitute.org. Thank you very much for listening to All Power to the Developing and we hope that you enjoy this episode. Welcome to All Power to the Developing, a podcast of the Eastside Institute where social justice, human development, and community building come together. This is where you will meet activists, artists, teachers, scholars, helpers, and healers who are bringing creativity, hope, and possibility to individuals and communities all over the world. to the developing this is your host Desiree Wanden Des for short and I am here with a very special guest we have therapist social worker spoken word artist poet Stephen Licardi with us how are you doing Stephen I'm doing pulchritudinous today Des how are you doing 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 fine I'm doing fine very excited to have you as a guest how's everything with you Stephen how's everything going so far Good. Very good. Um, um, you know, as we were talking about before, I think, you know, the winter months uh, are rough, you know, just with, as far as energy, but a lot of opportunities to get set up for the spring and the summer. And so I'm looking for those opportunities and a lot of querying, a lot of uh, submissions. So all that jazz. I'm very thankful to be here uh, to have the opportunity to converse with you. Thank you. Thank you. And likewise, very opportunity. And we're going to take an opportunity to get to know who you are on a deeper level here. Um, so, Stephen. Who, who was Steven? Who, talk about, let's say, 16-year-old Steven. Who was 16-year-old Steven? Um, what was he like? Talk about 16-year-old Steven. Sure. I, well, that's a very very formative uh, age to choose there, Des. Um, yeah, uh, 16-year-old Steven was um, relatively isolated. It was kind of... Uh, lonely kid um was just starting to figure out how to navigate um social relationships and the politics of adolescence if you want to call it that um but i spent a lot of time in my room um painting and drawing and and being creative my folks kind of just let me do whatever i wanted i was the artsy kid uh, which in my household was like, oh, I don't really understand what he does, but he keeps himself occupied. So, um, but when I was 16, actually, I, I wrote my first um, novella, uh, long form short story. Uh, and that was a really uh, important piece of art that I created because at the time I was really behind on my English in school. I was really bad with grammar and spelling and all that jazz. And so I wrote this story over the course of six months or so. so and <laughs> Because I didn't know how grammar worked, I wrote it as one continuous sentence with only commas and no other punctuation. And then I periodically went through and weaved in all the other 
forms of language that make it readable. And so that's how I kind of self-taught myself the rules of English language through that story. So I'm really thankful for that um, story. And I have a, sci a science fiction newsletter now. So hopefully I'll be posting that story up there um, nice. after many years. So and, and you, it's did, lovely that you asked, <laughs> asked that question. It started there, Des. Did you end up sharing that story with anyone or what, what became of that story? Yeah, I, I came back to it um, a, a lot, and, and the main character was really just kind of a foil for myself. Um, but I, I, I've periodically over the years come back to it, and over the course of the pandemic, uh, a friend of mine who uh, is a, um, a light engineer, a theater light engineer, Casey Duke, uh, helped to edit it. And so she's given me some great feedback, and so I'm hoping to go back in there uh, and hopefully get it into a form that it could be publishable, uh, at the very least on my newsletter. So Nice. So creativity is something that it seems that's always, you know, been very prevalent in your life and, and boosted you in many ways. How, how did that in turn go, turn into you going into social work? Um, where you think, what were, what were the things, were you thinking about that in high school, going into that type of work? What inevitably, inevitably left you into that direction? Yeah, so my, my whole childhood was really spent um, in and out of... Um, psych wards and hospitals and mm. psychologist offices and therapists and pediatricians and all that um, because I had I had a lot of mental health struggles when I was a kid and went through many many different um, chapters of psychotherapy and uh, medications um, and so my, my whole childhood was really um, was really in that world I, I was in special education programs all throughout my my childhood from the from second grade all the way up to 11th grade in high school um and i never had a summer break i was just always in school i was always learning about stuff and i was always creating um and it was really the arts that um was the most therapeutic tool i had for for me and trying to understand my internal experiences and trying to make sense of the external world and so um I didn't, you know, I was just a kid. I, I didn't know anything about what, what was going on. I just knew that uh, I liked to write and I liked to draw and I liked, and these things made life tenable for me. Uh, and then when I got into, uh, started going to a community college, that's when I started really asking questions about, well, what, what are these experiences that I had? And, and what are these strange, <laughs> these memories I have of like two-way mirror labs and uh, doctor's offices and, you know, week-long stints with electrodes glued to my head in hospitals, all these weird things. And so, and that's when my, my parents divulged to me, um, you know, that I had been diagnosed on the autism spectrum um, after a long series of trying to figure out what was quote unquote wrong with me. Um, and so, yeah, that's what got me interested in, um, in, in psychology initially. Um, but I went to college to be a writer uh, originally is what I wanted to be was, it was a writer novel writer and um but then I, I started studying psychology given those experiences and then a long process led me to social work basically how how i ended up in social work i was i was going to be a clinical psychologist but then i was learning more about um the apa the american Psych psychological association's relationship with the cia uh during the post 9 11 era on mm. uh, the torture program and things like that and that kind of left a sour taste in my mouth so i pivoted from clinical psychology to social work. And that's what led me here. To social work. And you said that you had these curiosities, you had these questions um, based on your own experiences. 
were you finding answers to some of those questions that you were asking yourself? Yeah, well, I, I should probably also mention that I, I, in grad school, or rather in undergrad, I double majored in psychology and philosophy. Um, and I, was, I, I would say that I was always a philosophical child. I was always asking deep questions that no one had answers to. Um, I, I was constantly questioning things. And because of my, my position as sort of a someone who was othered or an outsider, um, you know, I, I had the, the luxury of being able to set, sit back and kind of question, well, why are people doing what they're doing? Why is that person saying that to that person? Would they say something different? Um, I don't understand the social context. I don't understand the etiquette. I don't understand the social cues. So this doesn't make any sense to me. Why does it have to be this way? Could it be something else? Um, I was really always curious about why people do the things that they do and why the world is the way that it is and deeply questioning why it can't be otherwise. Um, and so that was always present with me. Um, also, my, my experiences, which were really difficult to, to communicate to the outside world, the internal experiences I was having. Um, and that's, what, that's where poetry really came in. Poetry gave me the tools to communicate to myself and then to communicate the rest, to the rest of the world what I was experiencing. But um, I'm really thankful and I have a lot of gratitude, ironically, to my isolation as a child because I think it, mm. it, it allowed me to vehemently hold on to my childlike curiosity about why things are the way that they are and what other kinds of possible worlds could there be in this moment for us to build together. Yes. And it seemed that that curiosity inevitably left, led you to, you know, the Eastside Institute in the international class. Mm -hmm. Speak a little bit about your experience as a social worker and, and, and developing yourself as a social worker, what it was like for you with the tools you already had at, in those moments. And then what led you, what were the other curiosities that led you into now looking into social therapy? Yeah, so um, my so my partner is a uh, teaching artist, theater maker, and an urban planner, uh, C. Miranda Flax Sermonek. And they had heard about the East Side Institute and the international class uh, through their many network of connections in New York. And they had forwarded it to me and they were like, this really seems like it's right up your, your alley. It combines performance and um, uh, philosophy and, you know, uh, radical psychology. And it's just all the things that you're deeply interested in. And it's, it's packaged in an international context. I've always seen myself as, um, you know, to quote Socrates, a, by way of Plato, a, a citizen of the world, you know, and, and I've already, I've always felt a deep um, global connection. And so it was really just everything that I was, that I was interested in. And so I applied and I was accepted. And um, I think the thing that I'm, that was, in, that I'm really excited about is now I, because of that experience, I have this global family that I've been able to build that we stay in contact with one another. Um, but to be in a room with people that come from vastly different backgrounds, culturally, um, you know, uh, from, from an identity standpoint was just, uh, I, I really, I hadn't experienced that before. And to take such a deep dive, a deep intimate dive with people um, in that context was um, profoundly transformational for me. Um, and it really got me interested in this, this, this approach, this process, this methodology, whatever you want to call it, this way of being really, which is, um, which is the, you know, social therapy 
approach, which I should also say, I'm I'm somebody who deeply questions everything, and I've I've been on this journey with the Eastside Institute for many years now, and I and I'm constantly questioning. I'm constantly curious about what are we doing, and seeing it not as inseparable from other larger movements across across the planet. But um, it's been incredibly enriching for my social work as well as my personal practice. So. Um, that's a kind of roundabout way of answering your question, but yeah, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to build on that. You said, um, you know, being in social therapy or being around social therapeutics, you're more questioning more now. The questioning is more because we get deeper with that. Was your trajectory linear with curiosity leading you now? You're going into one direction and then now going into social therapeutics or when you got into the social therapeutic atmosphere did you now develop a whole new set of now what is this because that's a a, yeah it's almost like you landed in a place that was kind of almost curated for you know creativity meeting therapy but now that you're here what was the experience yeah i mean that's a fabulous question des i think um you know i i'm in my, in my social work work, um, I, I try to be very eclectic. I like to pull from different different areas of, of, of knowledge. Some people, you know, there was a, when I was being educated, you know, um, in higher education, there was a real focus on like, be, be extremely specific and be extremely focused in your profession. Like choose that focus area and stick with it. And I really didn't like that idea. I, I was, I would get bored. I, I want to explore different things. And so um, I think, Becoming a, uh, becoming a part of the social therapy world, I guess if you want to put it that way, for me has been just adding another kind of node to the um, like the character tree. If you want to put it that way, if you want to think about video games, a little a, a skill a skill tree. It's another skill that's added on there. But I think what what has been really transformational is that, um, I think the the part of it that that feels deeply um liberatory and revolutionary for me is is these is the relationality of it is the way in which it social therapy expands on our ability to build relationships and to do things which um we maybe think of as are not uh, available to us for example i think we think about emotions as if they are these innate things that exist inside of us and our emotions are only ours and only we feel them and uh that they are just these solid things that we call emotions um and and social therapy i think has expanded for me the idea that actually we we can create other kinds of emotions we're constantly creating emotional experiences and that we are in process with our with our emotions we are co-creating them every moment of every day with others and in different contexts and it's helped me to think about my relationship to myself my relation whatever the self is um myself my community the people around me the other living things that i share a space with um my ecological relationships, all of these things. And it really feels as though it has expanded the realm of possibility, not only for myself, but the ways in which I am in relationship with other people, places, and things. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think one thing about social therapies for me is um, sometimes when we're in 
this environment, our environments, it's it's we created, so it's so it's so um, conducive to us. But then taking it into the world is where I find it to be extremely challenging. So how you just spoke about how you're able to take experiences from social therapy and now use that to relate to the world in a whole different way. Um, that that really that really was very impactful. Yes, yes. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, what are what is? Can you think of like a moment, or maybe a moment or two you could think of that's very distinct to you that stands out? You know, almost like a movie um, during your international class experience. Yeah, um, there's a very specific moment actually that comes to mind. Um, I remember we were, you know, we were this, you know, this is this is pre-pandemic, and so we were, you know, all in a room together, and we were sort of in in this this process. Um, and um, Joyce, our colleague Joyce, was was leading us through um, an exploration of. Um, uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm I think we we're, we're focusing on a specific text, and I can't remember what what text we were reading. Um, but I remember I had this moment where I was like, "Can can we curse on the podcast? Is that yeah? yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. I was like, "What the fuck are we actually doing?" Like this very distinct sort of like heels in the ground. What are we doing right now? What what is actually happening? And and feeling this sense of like like the i we were talking and we were engaging with one another but i had no idea what we were talking about and what we were doing and i and i and i i i said out loud and i was like i don't know what we're doing and you know i think joyce said something to me and i'm paraphrasing she said something to me well what do you think we should be doing and and i was like i I was like, I just want to know what what what's what's happening right now. And I think her response was, she's like, I think we're going a little deeper. And and I and I had no idea, Des, what what she was talking about, and like what was the activity we were engaging in. And but what I did know in that moment was that I was surrounded by people that I had begun to love, that I had begun to and had already had a deep level of respect i was in a space where i felt like i had built these intimate relationships very quickly and they were important to me and i wanted to continue to be with those relationships and be be with these people in this room um and i think what was happening in that moment in hindsight and i'm, I'm kind of just conjecturing now because who knows actually what, what happened in that moment but i think there was I think we had opened a, it's as, it's as if you live in a giant house and there's this door that you've never opened into a room that you go into and you open that door and suddenly there's another house. <laughs> like there's a, there's a whole bunch of series of rooms that you've never explored before. And I think that was a moment where we had cracked open um, another realm of possibility. And I think that I am thankful to say that I now can... <laughs> go in and out of those rooms as I please. <laughs> I feel more comfortable to, to move through those spaces. So I think that that was a, a real mo turning point for and this process. And I think that's what social therapy is, is I think it's this cracking open of perhaps uh, a remembering of perhaps of something you've already uh, always known, but has been have been socialized to not believe. Um, yeah, that, that was a that was a transcendent moment for me. Thank you so much for sharing that. 
And we're going to transcend into a short commercial break <laughs> as we come back and we learn a little bit more about Stephen. I'm going to speak a little bit more about his poetry and him co-leading groups with Anne Green. Melissa Meyer, Associate Director of the Eastside Institute. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. In each episode, we introduce you to some amazing performance activists, play revolutionaries, and developmentalists from around the world who talk to us about their creative grassroots efforts to build a better world. If you like what you hear, please follow and share the series. You can find us on Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas. Like everything at the Institute, the growth of all power to the developing depends upon the people who create it and benefit from it. We hope you're one of them. Thanks for your support. And now back to our conversation. Back live and in fresh and direct with Stephen Licardi. And um, poetry. Poetry is something, um, you know, very prevalent. And um, I, too, myself actually used to do some poetry. But one thing with me is at one point I got a little bit intimidated with poetry. Um, so, Stephen, you know, from your from your lens, what is poetry? Mm-hmm. And you spoke about, you know, your childhood isolation really, really being the catalyst for you being a writer and, and writing and creating in your personal space. Describe that journey and, and how you've used it in your life, how you use poetry in your life and its overall impact on you. And does it ever intersect with your work as a social worker? Yeah, um... Well, just to comment on on, on uh, poetry being intimidating, it, it, it is intimidating. Yeah, um, it, it intimidates me, for sure. Mm. I think I think the ways in which I'm intimidated by it is I continue to find ways in which poetry um, manifests or shows up uh, in ways that are not always linguistic. You know, I think we think of um, the the philosopher um, Jean-Paul Sartre um, hated poetry because he felt that he thought poets try and use language like painters use colors Mm. and he felt that language didn't do that that's not what language does and i could not agree with him less (laughs) um i think that i think language is this funny um this funny gift of evolution which is it gives us the ability to communicate with one another but it can also be a powerful tool of limiting uh what we think is possible you know um, and I think poetry loves to fuck around with language and to and to to uh, play with things like specificity and and vagueness in these really incredible ways, you know. So, um, you know, for me, I, I po- poetry most specifically was was therapeutic for me as a, as a child. It was when I ha- was having moments where my emotionality was so overwhelming, or I I was struggling to make sense of what I was feeling and what was going on in the world. Poetry was the thing that could, could make it make sense because it didn't need to, <laughs> you know? Um, I, and I think that that's another thing is I think 
poetry has this wonderful way of getting at sort of the absurdity of life um, and can help us to um, become unbounded by sense, if that, if that makes, makes sense. When you, it gets us into those emotions. When you started poetry, were you just free writing or were you inspired by other poets or other um, authors? Or Yeah. No, I just started writing. I just started putting words together. Um, uh, you know, and again, and again, they were coming from a place of like need, like a deep sense of pain or, or, or a darkness, if you want to call it that. Um, but just, you know, it, it really intensive. I've always been a very emotional child. I've always felt things like I just like I um, a deep sense of rooted feeling of even just like the colors of, of the room or the textures of a carpet or whatever, these things are emotional to me. And so um, it was a way of sort of um, making these things bite-sized, you know, um, and making sense. But I wasn't, I wasn't looking at authors that that came much, much later. Um, and, you know, I started off with, you know, just, you know, prosaic po poetry on paper. Um, it wasn't until my early twenties that I started becoming more involved with the, the spoken word, scene uh and spoken word is you know comes out of the black arts movement um it's it's much more performative it's it's yes. you know as i like to say your body becomes the page on which the poem exists and so you are a conduit to which the poem is delivered you know and and so and that was another layer of cathartic th uh, therapy for me it was actually being as a ter as a terribly anxious person getting up on stage yes and saying these vulnerable things and releasing that into the room so that now it is ours was it was just transformational so so i've had these sort of different chapters in my in my, how, my relationship to poetry how was that for you to i didn't i didn't think of that for you to for for the in large part this has been i could i could assume in a book and a pad <laughs> um mm. and now you're you're having to step on a stage and, and kind of perform this and mm -hmm. then also now in social therapeutics, we have performance, you know, on the stage and off the stage. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you, how was your experience first getting on that stage and performing for you? Talk about that. And then how do you view performance now that you're in these different realms of performance, quote unquote, mm -hmm. performance on the stage and now learning yeah. about performing on and off the stage? Yeah, I think, you know, we have this derogatory relationship to performance. Um, you know, we we talk about performances. If it, you know, it, it, it's fake. And some people refer to acting as just li lying, a professional liar, right? Um, but you know, as as we talk about, I mean, we are performing all the time. Right now, I'm performing as myself on a podcast, right? Um, like, there's, I've never done this performance before. I don't know how it's going. <laughs> so I hope it's. I hope the audience is enjoying it. Um, but you know, we are performing all the time. For me, I think going up on a stage and performing a poem, embodying a poem, felt more authentic to who I am because I can actually talk about my experiences. I don't have to hide behind etiquette or what is a socially appropriate or professionalism or what it means to be a, a, a heteronormative man or like, or, or, or a white man or like whatever, like, like these performances. And, and, and I, let me be clear, I think that these performances are often done for the sake of safety and protection and, and in order to, and survival often. Um, but I think to go up on stage and talk about my mental health, to talk about my struggles, um, was the opportunity to 
as someone who has always been outside of things or has felt outside of things going, why do we do this? Um, it gave me the opportunity to say, I'm going to do this instead. Let's do this instead. And, and I think people, that kind of radical witnessing of a person um, speaking truth or presenting a kind of truth or a version of their truth, um, I, th I think is just transformational. And so it, it, for me, it was, um, it, it made me realize that um, I love being able to perform and, and to know that I can change my performance as I need to, not to be inauthentic, but to indeed be more authentic, um, to take on roles, versions of myself that perhaps I've been afraid to or been too shameful um, to share before. Thank you for sharing that, Stephen. I think it takes a lot of courage to get on the stage. Um, <laughs> even, you know, I'm a, I'm a dancer and sometimes I dance in front of a lot of people and I think to myself, wow, how did I, how did I do that? You know, we, I think we come up, we come up with our own ways of being able to share ourselves with people. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. and that's a process within itself. So I'm always interested to hear from other artists about how they do it. You know, everyone yeah. has their own, own little method to themselves. Yeah. And I think, you know, like a lot of things, courage is, is, is relative. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear you sharing, sharing about your experience Des. you know, I, I always think, you know, um, you know, some of my siblings in, in the disability justice realm, you know, I, th I think it, it takes courage to leave the house, yeah. <laughs> you know, every day, you know, to navigate a world that um, wasn't built to be accessible to you. So, you know, it's, uh, I think, courage. So I think a lot about that, too, in my work, Des, is what is the courage that this person is living every day and perhaps they're not even aware of? And, and can, we, can we form a space where there's respite from that, where we don't have to be courageous? Um, we can just be, we can perform as a version of ourself being, you know. Do you, do you think of yourself in your own work as kind of analyzing your experiences, what you went through and saying, I want to create something for Stephen, the new Stephen in 2023, or the Stephen that lives in Arkansas, or the Stephen that lives in California, or the Stephen that's growing up in the Lower East Side of New York right now? Or are you thinking with more of a broader sense of where you want to go with your work? Um, yeah, that's a wonderful question. Um, I don't, I don't know who I am. And I hope, and you know, I, I hope to, um, what I like to say is I hope to leave this world knowing less than when I got here. You know, um, I, I'm constantly discovering what is possible for myself and for others. Um, I, I love people. I'm fascinated by people. Um, I know a lot of social workers that can't stand people. Um, and I think that that's an interesting career choice. Um, but you know, Social work is one of these, these, these professions where I think if you're somebody who feels powerless, if you feel like um, there's something of, about you that is missing or, 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 or there's, some, there's something that is, that is lesser than, I think it's a field that you run the risk of exerting your powerlessness on other people and exploiting people. I think that's, and I think that it's the same with psychiatry and psychology as well. I think that these, we're often put in positions of power with people who are disempowered. Um, who are experiencing poverty or whatever. Um, and so I am not interested in that. I'm, I have no interest in 
being an expert in the room or being uh, the, the, the person to solve everybody's problems. For the, for the kids that are out there who are feeling isolated, I, I just want to build with you. You know, I want to explore with you, with your experiences, good and bad, to play with them. I think that the, the history we come with endows us with tools and toys that we can we put it placed in different contexts we can play with other people and use them in different ways and so um i'm i'm not somebody i think healing isn't is a process that there's a lot of this term healing is being thrown around a lot right now you know and i think that it's it's not linear it's never complete and i would go so far as to say is it it doesn't happen alone i think healing is a process that we choose to engage with in with other people and part of that is discovering and creating who you are, who you want to be, who you're becoming. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not, and in this work, I'm not looking to heal some wound of my past. I'm instead looking to play with my wounds, play in the wounds, um, and to explore how the wounds that others may have and may look at as if they were wounds, can we perhaps transform how they, uh, we can use them or perceive them or, um, experience them. So I just love people and meeting new people and, and building with them. Yeah. That's that's why I do what I do. Speaking of building with people and, and doing it not alone, you're not co-leading groups with Ann Green. Um, how has that experience been for you? Um, I'm sure social work is a little different, you know, uh, dealing with, I assume, with families or, or particular cases, but now it's more so dealing with a group. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I will say that I think I have, you know, I've, I've done lots of group work over the course of my social work career, career working in um, pros, um, personal recovery oriented services, which, you know, I don't want to go off too much on a tangent, but that's a very interesting sort of group environment. Um, and I often wonder what my work would have looked like if I was engaging in this in, in social therapeutics there. But working with Anne, I think, Group work really benefits from having a co-facilitator. And, and, and because you can actually bounce ideas off of each other, you can support one another in the space. And so working with Anne has been totally transformational. And what I love is that we don't always agree. Um, you know, she takes an approach or an angle, which um, sometimes I'm like, whoa, where, where are we going here? Why, why would you say that? Or um, I'm able to play with, my own reactions and to see someone taking a completely different approach. And so we don't agree all the time. Um, in fact, often we don't agree. And that's, and I'm not saying that we argue or that we're like, you know, at, at, at loggerheads, but you know, there's, it creates this opportunity where I can go, how do I create with a person who has, who's taking a different approach in real time in the moment with me. And, you know, group work is really powerful because I think we live in a, in a social structure that, idolizes the individual, the rugged individual. And I think that that's an illusion. I think that's a, that's a lie. I think that we are shaped by who is around us, what is around us, uh, and that no person is an island. And so working in groups, I think, is helping people to see that you don't have to have all the answers. You don't even need to know what's going on. All, all you have to do is be here with me and be dedicated to building something. Um, if you're miserable in your life and you want to build a life that you're excited about, that brings you joy, we can't, you can't do that alone. 
unfortunately, because we live in other in a world with other people. So we have to figure out at some point how to do that with others. And I think that I'm really excited to be able to build that with people and to be able to do that with strangers and a colleague who I don't necessarily agree with. I mean, that sounds like magic to me. You know, the world says that, you know, something that I've really learned in this process is, which is pretty radical, is this idea that you don't have to be understood or to understand to be able to build something new. And I think that there's many people in like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person who considers myself a progressive. And I think there are many folks in progressive circles that struggle with that idea. What do you mean I, ha- I can't be understood? If you don't understand me, I don't know if we can move forward. I, I often, Des, don't feel understood. I've, I've, I've existed as a being who feels perpetually misunderstood. Chief among myself. <laughs> I don't understand myself. Um, and so, I, I'm interested. I'm, I, I, want, I want to build with people who I don't understand and who don't understand me. Because I think that that is much more magical, transformational, even divine, if given the certain, certain context. And so, um, I've seen that possible and I've seen that happen in real time while working with Anne and Anne has helped me to find the moments for that too. Sounds great. Sounds like it's going great and um, there's a lot more more discoveries to be made. Always. So in parting, all power to the developing. When you hear that phrase, what does it mean to you? What does that mean to me? Well, first of all, it's very poetic, uh, and I love that. Um, you know, we are we are developing constantly. We're always developing, um, as Anne has 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 conceptualized for me that the only time we stop developing is when we are dead, when you know we pass on or we choose to take our own lives. That's 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 when development stops. We stop the opportunity to develop, and so we're developing all the time, and so. I think we might as well embrace that. We we fully wholeheartedly embrace that I am on this journey and I mean I am engaging in this developmental process whether emotional or intellectual or relational um or sexual or whatever. We're 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 in this developmental process and so we might as well go full monty. We might as well um root into that and and imagine impossible worlds together. And that's that's what I'm trying to do. Is I'm 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 here trying. I I I'm unwilling to accept the world as it is. I want to build um, other kinds of worlds with people, and I I think the best way to do that is to recognize that we can and we are. We already are. So we might as well um, empower ourselves to take it by the horns. Not to speak in too many metaphors, but I'm a poet after all. Yeah, it's getting real poetic <laughs> real quick. And speaking of that, um, Stephen, we would love if you have a piece of poetry for us before we leave. Um, sure. The tune of my soul sounds like snapping wishbones. So I cloned it, my soul, and sold it secondhand for breadcrumbs so I could lead you back to me. So I could lift you from your praying knees so we can squeeze the juice from your lemons into my gaping wounds. We'll swim inside that swoon until we pry the spoons from our mouths. Feed the sea of red it bleeds to seeds set free from thunderclouds. Elysium is fallow now. Hades' hounds have been put down. We'll ride their ghosts through fields of smoke until our love is found. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) Thank you.
Once again, this is All Power to Developing. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being a guest on All Power to Developing. Your your story is amazing. Um, we we do these on on Zoom, but I've got to meet you in person, and, and um, really amazing person. And I'm really happy to hear about your work, and um, looking very forward to hearing what you're going to create in the future. Well, thank you, Des, for this opportunity. And and I, I want to say also, you asked about the international class and. Um, you you were and are such an, a pivotal part of my experience and the experience of others, and I am truly thankful um, that you are uh, in this process with me and that you're a part of the Eastside Institute community, uh, and that I, I I consider you a colleague and a, and, and a, a cherished friend. So thank you so much for taking this on. Thank you, thank you. All power to developing. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you can follow, comment, subscribe. We're available on majority of all major platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Play. Uh, you could also find us on Facebook and like us on our Facebook All Power to Developing Like page. If you are feeling an episode or you really like this episode, write back to us. Let us know what you like. If you enjoy Stephen's poem, if you enjoyed one of the other episodes, write back to us. Let us know exactly what you like and we would love to read your response live at the end of each episode. Thank you so much. This is Des. Once again, Stephen, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. And peace out to everyone. All power to the developing. All power to the developing was made possible in part by Growing Social Therapeutics, the Baylor Wolf Fund.